0: Andy does love some Andy. It's like you're
1: inside of my head. (laughs) What is your fascination with Peterson?
2: Welcome to the
1: Trade Secrets
3: Podcast.
1: <laughs> Dear future me, don't go to the courthouse.
4: The moral of the story is don't leave your martial arts equipment and your other coat and apparel dimension.
1: Comic book talk
3: by comic book geeks just like you.
4: <laughs> I'm Indian. and I like every
1: comic that's ever been made. I would not go to Jonathan Frakes booth because I would get space herpes. Work it, make it, do it.
2: Makes sense. And
3: now your hosts Luke Matthews She's like, the world's gonna end and I've never kissed anybody So you know what?
1: I'm gonna kiss my brother Andy Pennell. Oh my god, comic books They're the new great yeah. idea, Kick-Ass oh. Scott Pilgrim And Bean
4: I feel like she has like more integrity as a character And I feel like it would be a little bit cheap If she's like, so therefore I must wear Tic-tac-toe boobs
3: And Joel Simon Oh, but uh, yeah, I have
0: to pay, what, $50 a month For the internet 15 bucks you get a lot of grist out of this
3: welcome everybody to episode 41 of the trade secrets podcast i am your host luke matthews and i am joined by the typical crew today of andy padell sand sharks joel simon Sup, and Ann bean on a
4: plane <laughs> we
3: are uh, sand sharks up on a plane yeah uh, today, we are going to be talking about Johnny the Homicidal Maniac. It is a uh, it is a Jonan Vasquez uh, book from 1997 published by uh, Slave, Slave Labor, Labor Graphics. Um, in specific, because this is a show about trade paperbacks, we're going to be talking about the director's cut trade. I'm sure there will be some no! comparisons made to the individual issues here, um, but... Uh, we're going to start the show like we always do by talking a, a little bit about what we've been reading for the last few weeks. So um, I'm actually going to start because uh, I was sick last weekend, like deathly <laughs> you ill. Ain't got no job, <laughs> and I don't have a job. So um, I was I've been way 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 behind on most of my monthly books. So uh, this last Saturday, or a week from a week ago, I actually sat down and ca- caught. Up entirely on the sixth gun, which um I'm glad I did. That book uh is still consistently awesome from <laughs> Yeah, you you didn't you did not succeed in making us not hear you just blow your fucking honker in the kitchen there, sir. There you go. Ah, thank you. Um now for
4: something completely different. A man with two noses. <laughs>
3: uh and this book is it's still it still ranks if if it's not my all-time favorite comic it's in my top five it's just so well constructed and it's so good the story like uh, the mythologies that that Colin bunn keeps bringing into it you know this this last issue was the wendigo this last story arc was the wendigo and um, his interpretation of the Wendigo is really awesome. Brian Hurt's art just gets better and better um, with every issue. Uh, is so,
1: Bill Crabtree still doing the coloring? Yes, he is.
3: Okay. Um, Bill Crabtree has been doing the coloring since issue like seven, I think, something like that.
1: I it was five, but yeah, whatever.
3: Well, I think I think I'm pretty sure Brian Hurt was still coloring his own artwork through the through the first arc. And then they brought Crabtree in. Um and it's just awesome. The stuff looks it's really good. Um and I'm really excited because uh issue twenty-nine comes out in I think next week. And alongside issue twenty nine, they're starting a, a a side um like a, a mini series spin-off called Sons of the Gun that's gonna rewind and talk about the origins and the the history of the of General Hume's four horsemen. Which is cool because, like, um, like the, in an interview, uh, a CBR interview with Colin Bunn, he he was talking about how everyone when they first started up the book on like issue three or so, everybody was like super psyched for the Horsemen and they were awesome, and then he kills them all off by the end of the first <laughs> arc. Ewok tricks. <laughs> so yeah, um, so th- uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be written by uh, Colin Bunn and Brian Hurt, and then. Uh, the artwork's actually gonna be done by Brian Chirilla, who's the guy who did uh, the Secret History. No, 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 Secret History of DB Cooper. Five Mm Fifths of Science is Stephen Sanders. Oh, okay. Um. So yeah, I mean, it's that's that's basically what I read because I was literally I was like twelve issues behind on that book, and um, I finally caught up and read all of them and got got current on it, and now my next. uh, my next project is going to try and get caught up on Unwritten, which I'm currently like 15, <laughs> 15 issues behind on, something like that. So so. we'll be hearing about that in what, like December? <laughs> something like that. Um, that is a wordy book. It really is. I love it, but it it's, is a wordy It's book. awesome. Um, it, it makes you actually pay attention to it, though. It's not wordy in like some other books are, where it's just blocks of text. It's actually like, you know, narrative, it's narrative and it's important and it actually means something in the in the course of the storyline. So anyway, yeah, I've been reading Six Guns. So uh what else what have you guys been reading? Joel?
0: I I've just been uh, catching up on the book we're doing next
1: twelve. Did you know, actually read it before we actually podcast it. Sweet. Oh. But yeah, I haven't been reading too much though. It's a professional podcast where we always read the material before the podcast. Yeah. What is the 12 about? Or I mean, during. we can talk about it a little okay. bit before
3: so, the show. Okay, so, well,
0: the, what the 12 is is that um, during World War II, <laughs> there was this group, there were a lot of superheroes um, that were helping out in the war effort when they were taking down the, the Nazis, and there were 12 of them that went down into this underground bunker to trying to flush out the Nazis, and they got caught in a death trap. And, well, it wasn't really a death trap, but they all got gassed and then put in cryogenic stasis, and The scientists that put them there actually got captured, and they were forgotten about until 60 years later, when um, when they're building a apartment building, they unlock this hidden chamber with all these superheroes in there. So, 60 years in the future, for these people, they're back into the real world, and they have to adjust to modern day living. Hmm. So, and there were the 12 people, and it's just a story that follows
1: these 12 guys that you know how they dealt with. So, it's called the 12 Captain Americas. Mm, yeah. <laughs> no, not not all of them they were trapped in an iceberg in the middle of germany yeah <laughs> and, and
0: not all of them i mean there was there were they're really they're golden age superheroes so mm-hmm. one one was <laughs> the one is the the Superman type. There's one guy who's, yeah. who has a sword and he's the thespian and he has no superpowers. You he's really like
3: really. take these, these takeoffs on classic heroes, don't you? Because that's Cause they uh, fucking rock. I do. <laughs> yeah. It's genre
0: bending. I, yeah. and I like that kind of stuff. Like eh, nothing ever turns out. I don't know. I, I try to read like old stuff. I, I bought an old trade of like Nick Fury and it was. I just couldn't do it. I just can't. Totally Austin my... Powers. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. It is really Austin Powers where Nick Fury fights himself on a space station at like the end with of time yeah with girls in, in metallic bikinis and I, I just couldn't do it <laughs> you know? and it's it's strange to see how old how old superheroes and stories were written back then and how they are now and it seems even more than it's is written, written in uh, like modern days so people can understand it but it's just that the themes and everything that they cover—it was a lot more mature than they were back then. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's really melodramatic. The, the old Captain America's well. oh, absolutely, though. yeah. So
4: it's interesting that classic comics and Golden Age stuff holds such sway over the genres of today, but at the same time, like when you go back and look at them, they're yeah. these like strange, dorky, awkward melodramatic. Yeah, for things. the most part,
3: yeah. they're just silly.
4: And most people yeah. who are affected by them haven't necessarily read them.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah, N- Namor screaming at Dr. Doom to not use the Horn of Atlantis. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have ever seen that. It's like a, a cutout from, it's probably Marvel Comics Presents or something from the late 60s where Namor is giving a tour to the visiting dignitary Dr. Doom. And Dr. Doom is like, Doom does as he pleases. And he grabs the Horn of Atlantis and it's like,
2: toot. <laughs> <laughs> Namor's like, no.
1: <laughs> Dude, it just, it just said toot. I mean, yeah. He might have been farting, for all we know.
4: <laughs> <laughs> They've stored Aquaman's farts, but they're really bad. Mm. <laughs>
3: and what have you been reading? Call all the forces of the undersea with a. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
4: oh. Uh, it smells like low tide. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, Bubbles.
4: So, speaking of organ harvesting, I've been reading a, a image shadowline. A uh, mini series called Harvest in issue form. Crazily enough, not a trade. Harvest. <laughs> Harvest. It came out last year at some point. It's about uh, legal organ harvesting, like you do. Um, oh, so it's Tuesdays. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> nice. It follows. Follow. It's it's interesting because so there's the corrupt doctor who's had all of his credentials pulled and lost his license because he was like on drugs and let somebody die, like you do. Um, and then he is both working with the yakuza because they kind of threatened him into it, and then working with horrible illegal organ harvesting people that do wretched things to the people that they harvest their organs from, and they're giving them to all like Fortune five hundred CEO people that can, you know, pay them a lot and pay them blackmail money and all all of that good stuff. It's it's interesting. There is some like after one read, I am like, okay, I still don't understand the kid. What the hell? Like, just details that I'm like, I don't think there was enough space for them to f- use coherently, but, mm. but in general, it was a good read.
3: Do you know who writes
4: slash arts it? No, but I can find it on the internet, and I will tell you shortly.
1: It's the only book that I really want to talk about that I've been reading is not really a book. It's the weekly series, Crossed Wish You Were Here, by Cy Spur. Oh, <laughs> uh, Spurrier? Up. Is it Spurrier? I think it's Spurrier. I but yeah. Know. Yeah. Um, the only guy in comics named Cy. Who cares? He's an amazing writer. Yeah. Uh, so, Cross is not for everyone. I will go on the record in stating that. In fact, it's probably not for most people due to the excessive, 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 excessive amount of violence. Gore. There's a
3: word for that. It's called gratuitous.
1: Yeah, but gratuitous doesn't begin to cover it, is the problem. Yeah. It's like if gratuitous, excessive, and a fuck ton had a child somehow, that's <laughs> how much violence is in this book. Um, but it's a weekly uh, eight pages every week with the exception of interludes, um, story and size plan from what I've read is that he wants to do this for, I don't know, five or six years and just take the story where it goes. And it's nice because he doesn't have to follow the standard comic book format because he doesn't have a publication like date that he needs to meet or specific sizes or anything. I think it's a really interesting concept. Um, It starts out on an island and it's following a writer who has escaped the cross plague. And there's an island of about 30 people we're dealing with the situation and it it's just tracking him and I was so lost in the no in, cause <laughs> in the crossed world they're not trapped on the island in fact they do leave the island after okay. about um i don't know the first two trades worth of How the trail. motivated
4: would you be because to leave the, crossed, the island though The to
2: find
0: well, well, that, zero that's not at all yeah
1: uh, it's basically that you know they know they can still be attacked on the island but it's so boring that it's like okay well either Waiting it out in terror or going out and trying to be something, do something active. Do they
4: have any more motivation than that? Yeah. Like, I'm bored? That seems like like a. Yeah,
1: no, uh, the the island does get attacked occasionally. So it's not like it's completely safe. It's just safer. I
4: feel like if I'm writing it, though, I would need like a decisive moment where it's like, Um, this, this is the time when I will leave the island. They need supplies. Okay. There Um, you go. That's that's one of the major
1: reasons that they leave the island. But the reason that the main character goes is he's like, I've been on this island for, let's say, two years, every day, pants shitting terror. Because we could be attacked on the island. Mm-hmm. Or I can go out and see something different with pants shitting terror. <laughs> <laughs> so boring
4: pants shitting terror, interesting. W, no, W, don't. Yeah. That's good.
1: Mm. Um, I really like it, though. It, it's like eight pages every week, which is the perfect amount. It's just enough to, you want more, but it's enough to get something across. Yeah. Um, the cliffhangers are amazingly well done. Yeah. Psy has done this perfect job of like he takes it right to that point you're like, okay, what happens now? Nah, damn it, that's the end of this issue. Who who draws it? Uh oh shit.
3: The drawer. The mm. got preparation. Soft. Got so much mileage.
4: Meanwhile, Harvest is done written by A. J. Lieberman and drawn by Colin Lorimer.
3: I don't know Colin, Colin Lorimer. Or, never I've I bed. I know I know A. J. Lieberman, I've heard that name before. Um but uh yeah. Um so while while Andy over the there is the looking internet. up uh his crossed artist uh the one piece of news that we wanted to bring up uh which has been exploding over the last couple of weeks is the uh the uh DC deciding to hire Orson Scott Card to write um a Superman comic um <laughs> yeah <laughs> so so I'm going I'm to start this off. So for those of you who out there who don't know, Orson Scott Card is a fuckwit. He's um, he, he's, he's on the
4: board for the National Organization for Marriage, meaning <laughs> let's criminalize gay people.
3: Yeah, he's he's v- extremely uh, vocally uh, anti-gay marriage. To the point, not just of being vocal about his opinions on it, but actually contributing to organizations that actively try and uh, make it like legal. illegal, illegal. Yeah. Um, which, if DC didn't have enough problems with their with their staffing and their fucking, you know, gender equality issues, much less you know dealing with their their horrible in-comic dealing of sexual orientation most of the time, uh, then they go ahead and decide to hire someone who is actively, like, f- fucking with half their audience. Um, I am not... So the thing that that I... The thing I wanted to say about it is that I am definitely not... No- I'm not normally the type of person who gives a shit about the personal... Uh, crap of the artists that create the art that I consume because if I stopped consuming art because the artists were assholes I would never ever consume art most classic literature Um, right out right exactly like most young blood fucking gone oh wait (laughs) classic literature my bad so for example like one of the things my dad was my dad was huge My, my dad is a very was very 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 conservative so his thing, the opposite of most people that I know, was that, you know, if somebody was, like, hyper-liberal, he he wouldn't deal with their shit. So, mm-hmm. he would not watch, he will, would not watch Susan Sarandon movies, ever, period. Mm-hmm. Um, did not like Johnny Depp, because Johnny Depp is... And a one-dimensional character. As a, yeah. As <laughs> wow. a personal, as a personal, mm. as a person... I don't really like Johnny Depp. He's kind of an America, America-hating, America you know, expatriate fuckwad, but... Johnny Depp is Tonto in Pirates of the uh, Caribbean, in <laughs> the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> <laughs> um, God damn it.
4: Especially, how did he take the Tonto role? Especially because he's a, you know, a liberal communist a-hole or whatever, you know? God damn know. it.
3: Yeah, I, I just, um, most of the time, I don't care. i I'm not going to worry about it because... Um, like, I I think Tom Cruise is a fuckwit, but but Minority Report's one of my all-time favorite sci-fi movies, and I'm not going to really worry about it. In this case, though, you just take half a second to think about your own PR, right? Like, I don't like Orson Scott Card. I don't like him as a person. I loved Ender's Game. I thought it was a great book. I actually, I got into a discussion with this last week because I actually really enjoyed, um... Orson Scott Card's Ultimate Iron Man. I liked uh, that too. Um he's a good writer, but why when you're when he's so active in his his basically hatred. his hatred, you gotta there there's a point where you step back and you're like, okay, come it's on. It's like
4: electing a Hitler youth pope. You know, it's just it's bad PR. You don't need that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh youth oh, Pope. oh. current affairs
3: nice. <laughs> no they did <laughs> that was the, the guy that just left what's the it benedict yeah. yeah okay yeah um Chris Pope.
4: <laughs> <laughs> that should be the next one
3: i mean what are you guys opinions on it like i've spouted my opinion what uh
4: i was discussing this with a friend the other day and he said i don't understand how dc has decided they want to try to have more representation for like non- sort of cis straight white rich male stories but they choose people who are not in that demographic to write them like hey let's have s- stories about women let's have all men write them let's have stories about yeah. you know reasonable human beings let's have boris and scott card write them like doesn't make sense
1: god there's just too many fucking johnny depp movies to Coherently put a title together. No, no. other <laughs> than, than in a what's lot. eating a nightmare. Of...
3: Thanks for paying attention there. Yeah, no, no. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is this shit this is, is important. important <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> 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 Jesus Christ, he's played the same person in like 40 movies.
0: I don't know. He I think Buster Keaton. So it, here's here's my thing: is that Superman is supposed to be the ideal man, right? He's supposed to be he's supposed to have all the values that we want in people, and having someone who's so filled for hate for just a small section of our community really is is not a very good choice for me. But on the other hand, it's it's not any different than, was it Grant Morrison saying that Superman gave up his citizenship? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess they're going to the other side of it where they had ultra-liberal Superman, and he's like, I'm not going to be American every, anymore. And now we have on um, the... The flip side of that.
3: Yeah. I mean, Hope if nothing concerned. else, it's creating controversy, right? So yeah. it's drawing drawing no attention to the thing book. Is bad publication. But or bad. But
1: yeah.
4: Bad publicity.
1: Publicity. No. Publicity. Bad publication. Wow. Yeah.
3: There is such there a thing.
4: Is a such thing and it's called
3: DC yeah. Comics.
1: It, it worked wonders for a so slide. So, to, <laughs> to, to go back for a second <laughs> to explain to the viewers at home or listeners at home why I'm so out of it, I was looking through the list of all the movies that Johnny Depp had been in, and then I see Jack and Jill, where he plays himself. I'm like, at least he's credited correctly in one fucking movie. <laughs> 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 He was a Johnny Jacket Depp
3: Joe. Johnny Depp is not nearly as one-note an actor as many other actors. I mean, at least Ben Affleck. No, no, at least before Matt Damon. <laughs> 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 b- at least before uh Pirates of the Caribbean. Like <laughs>
4: <laughs> Jesus. A <Sorry>. hawkeye
3: <laughs> panty shot.
4: Uh
3: um I use my nut shots with
4: Bill Coulson in the background going <laughs> woo or yeah. somebody on a headset.
3: Um what the fuck was I that's saying? Sorry. I just like <laughs> that's an arrow you want. In Hawkeye's de- scrote de- just derailed, <laughs> derailed me. Yeah. Um like there's fucking Bruce Willis is a one note actor. Like him. Awesome. Like his note. Most of the time Tom Cruise is a pretty goddamn one note actor. At least yeah. before like what I was saying is before Pirates of the Caribbean, when he came out and did Captain Jack Sparrow, it was unique. At the time, everything since Captain Jack Sparrow is Captain Jack fucking Rehashed. Sparrow, though. Yeah, like yep. even Tonto looks a little Captain Jack Sparrow. To so back to the uh, the Orson Scott Card thing for a second. One of the things that that interests me about this whole situation is how much outrage there is that they hired him to do this book, um, and yet there are other things that Orson Scott Card has been involved in or will be at least tertiarily involved in for example the upcoming ender's game movie Mm -hmm. that nobody's saying a word about that nobody's like nobody's like i can't believe they're making a movie of this asshole's book blah 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 but it's like i'm like where do where where does the line get drawn at, at the time you boycott a an artist's stuff. And when you don't, you right. know, I mean, office. I've heard some
4: people are like, I will only buy his books used, but I still like them. I've heard some people who write him off entirely and are like, I, I liked Enders game, but it's dead to me now. And uh, some people, I wonder about that. Cause it's like, I, I think there's something unique about the DC decision because it's um, one of the big two. It's a, an iconic American pop culture title. Uh
1: (laughs) Superman is supposed to be the pinnacle of humanity. He's Uh supposed to be the best in everything. And when you have someone who is less than the best every artist is less than the best though that's the thing this guy just happens to have his opinions
3: be
4: public right which i think it's just the fact that he's so public about his his bigotry and dc's like oh this seems like a good plan to hire i mean
3: i mean don't Mm -hmm. get me wrong i i agree that there's a different there's a difference in this situation because of the fact partially because of the fact that dc already has all these problems specifically with this type of issue right with um with some sort of discrimination involved in most of their decisions and that they're not representing their fan base properly and then they decide to hire someone that's not not only doesn't represent their fan base but is actively against a section of their fan base right like i understand that but what it just it's it's weird to me that there's that it's the same guy. It's the same guy involved in making a movie about a book that is a classic. It's a classic piece of sci-fi literature. Mm-hmm. There's no getting around that. And it was it was famous well before people knew just how uh, the deep, deep into this bigotry <laughs> he was. Um, but it's the same kind of you know it's the same kind of thing with like Frank Miller, right? Like i <laughs> I think he's I think he's a bigoted fuckwad that is way off the deep end. But I still like Dark Knight Returns. It's still it's still a good, it's still a classic, iconic piece of comic book history. Um,
1: on the note of Frank Miller, add Sin City to that list of books that will all lump together. Mouse, Sin City, all that
4: stuff. When we do the... Oh, all the things that we're not gonna... Yeah, the <laughs> cliche podcast. The uh, cliche podcast.
1: No, so I'm gonna continue on the actual point of your, your yeah. rant for a minute there. So, okay. You know what? Everyone's entitled to their own opinion. Mm-hmm. In my, you know, it's like, hey, if that's how he wants to be, cool. The second that he wants to influence, have his choices matter to other people is the, the second that he's gone too far, in my opinion. Which is what he's done. Yeah, no, but that's I'm saying, yeah. you know, if he doesn't want any sort of uh, gay rights, this, he's... The, yeah, it's yeah, gay, yeah. gay marriage and gay rights, yeah. He is entitled to have that opinion. Mm-hmm. You know what? Absolutely. He, d- he doesn't have to marry a dude. <laughs> right? <laughs> Fair. The second that he tells someone else what they have to do with their life... That he's crossed that line, and that's what, and that's
3: one of the biggest problems with it, his particular uh, part of this is being part of an organization Very that political. actively lobbies to criminalize that sort of thing. So, I, I mean, he he's actually been quoted as saying that that um, he doesn't necessarily think that uh, he doesn't ne- necessarily think that he doesn't want any laws to be made to actively encourage gay marriage. And he has been. He has actually said certain homosexual acts should be criminalized in order to set an example, so that um, it that the gay community does not have any influence on traditional marriage, and and thus corrupting the you know the the traditional values of that this country is blah 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 blah. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's it's a he's a fuckwit. Mm. He's just he's a, he's a terrible he's a pretty bad person. Terrible person. I'll go terrible, sure. He's a terrible fucking person. <laughs> yeah. Um and I'm uh, just unenlightened. That's Also that's opposes
4: audience. gay civil union and gay adoption.
3: hmm
4: mm-hmm. Of course. Yeah. Um. I I'm
3: it's uh it's one of those interesting things though where there's like there's certain times where I don't call it turning a blind eye, but you just kind of start ignoring their a uh, person's opinions like that because maybe they created something that it that is classic and iconic, like Ender's Game, right? Um, I think it's
4: the politics of it that's the pisser right now, and it's and yeah. the fact that he's still alive. It's like, oh Hemingway, you were a misogynistic alcoholic asshole, but you're dead, so I'll read your short stories, right? You know. well, well you and it also depends on it from
1: me getting
4: right your books, and
3: for me, um, when it comes to artists, it it also depends depends on how much they let that opinion influence their art, right? Like if Ender's Game had a bunch of fucking anti-game messaging in it, then I would then I it, I wouldn't like it. Yeah. I wouldn't it wouldn't you know, it might even, even if it was a classic, I wouldn't enjoy it. But it doesn't have that. He doesn't let that influence. He didn't at least at the time let that influence his art because it's not a message at the time that he was even interested in, like, portraying. Yeah. Portraying. Wait,
0: it, wait you know. for the movie. They'll probably have gay aliens. it <laughs> <laughs> will probably be gay ali- aliens. Because, like... <laughs>
1: homosexual alien <laughs> Russians are coming to take away democracy yeah, okay. and anyway. our men. I mean it's not like it's, it's not like Heinlein
3: be, where Heinlein oh. everything Heinlein ever wrote was a political message based, yeah. based on his beliefs. Starship Luckily, his beliefs is phenomenal. Yeah, like his beliefs you know, his beliefs weren't necessarily as uh discriminatory as as Orson Scott Cards, but it was like everything that y- you read by him is some sort has has a
1: blatant political message to it so So, the comedy of justice is phenomenal (laughs) yes it is (laughs) that's that's a good read so you get to the end of the book he's like what if god's wrong
3: (laughs) and
4: hey yo
1: what it boils down to
3: for me is that i mean this is a simple decision for me because i'm not a superman fan and i'm not a dc fan so there you go i'm already not i don't read a single core dc book and, in fact, the only Vertigo book that I'm reading right now is unwritten. And that's it. Like, I, I, I've i heard, the, you know, there are other books that are really good, like, that they, you know, proceeded to cancel. Like, I, Vampire is supposed to be really fucking good, and they canceled it. Mm. Um, but as it stands right now easy decision for me because i just don't give a shit about dc either way but i think it's i think it's just stupid of them it's just a dumb fucking move it it gets their word out there
0: though yeah you know it
3: does we're talking about it right and we're saying dc over and over and over again
2: The Justice League of America versus the Legion of Doom. This is the Challenge of the Super Friends.
3: For the last two-ish weeks. Uh we have been reading Johnny the Homicidal Maniac. Um, Somewhere
1: between fifteen years and five minutes before the show we started reading Johnny the Homicidal Maniac. What
3: is it that what is it that Jonan Vasquez does now? Invader Zim. Invader Zim. Well you. he doesn't do that anymore. No. No. Right. right, but that was his big that's that was, the that thing that thing. Thing. most people know him for. Um, yeah. Has he someone done read this recently? and
4: said let's give this man a children's show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Invader um, Zim is funny. It is. It is. I love Invader oh. Zim. It's a very
1: funny show. So I think, like, as far as I can remember, the only things that Jonah Vasquez has done is Johnny the Squee, I Feel Sick, and Invaders Him.
3: He's not, he's not too much coffee man. Is, is no, no, that's... No, um, that's um,
1: oh, my God. The other guy. Yeah, anyway. Yeah. Shannon. Um, Shannon, is Squee a, do you
0: a spinoff?
4: Squee is about the little neighbor kid. Yeah. And okay, the horrible, so horrible things that happen to him. I think Squee is darker than Johnny.
1: Squeeze future self comes back to warn him of an impending catastrophe, but the effects of the time travel pretty much liquefy most of his brain. He's like, I must warn, oh God, my spine, and he dies.
3: <laughs> huh. Sounds about anyway. right. Johnny the Homicidal Maniac was published in 1997 in comic book form. It had existed uh, in shorter form prior to that, but not in it, not in any real publication. He talks about it a little bit, where he there were some was sort of his baby. He, yeah, there were little doodled. littler things. He published it in a in a high school uh, newspaper um, nice. in some short, like uh, standard comic strip type form, like Sunday strip. Um, yeah uh and uh as as we were saying it's Jonan Vasquez' it's, he does the writing and the art everything um it was published in comic book form in ninety seven and then it was collected in uh ninety nine into a trade paperback called uh the dire- Johnny the homicidal maniac
1: director's cut and then there's also a hardback complete version
3: oh really yeah. okay so there's a hard there's a hardcover version um i don't I don't know where to start. I'm gonna let you guys since since this I, is your I'm pick, gonna, Andy, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna lead you this. Go.
1: So if you go back to nineteen ninety seven and think of the comics that were out at that time, this was really one of the very first books that was way the fuck out there, like just completely on its own thing, not related to anything else. And are you agreeing or disagreeing? i am agree. Okay. Um like, I mean, Youngblood, you know, all this image stuff like Spawn, all this stuff that's, you know, violence and there's no consequences and whatnot. And to a certain extent, that does share similarities with this. However, this book has a lot of depth to it. I mean, it's not just a simple, straightforward good guys kicking bad guys in the dick. Um, there is a coherent story. It's a little bit hard to follow. Um and it goes through both Johnny and Squee to a certain extent. Did you just say that something that's coherent is hard to follow? You have to pay a lot of attention. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, yes. The story is there, but you have to pay a lot Cohesive of attention. Cohesive or coherent? coherent. No, it's coherent. Mm. Okay, yeah, continue. Like I understand you hate it, Luke, but I you know, I disagree with your opinion on this. Um, like, Just the amount of depth and detail that there are at every single page of this book is pretty awesome. Like, There's small stuff written in the corners and... You know,
4: it's just The gutters are made out of mangled words that are subconscious.
1: Notations of, you know, like special effect goes here. In order to make this uh, (laughs) explosion, we removed the character from the panel, replaced him with a hobo, stuffed him with TNT, and then used a computer CGI to take out the meat chunks. Enjoy. Those, Those little bits I actually enjoyed. There was one where
3: they, he... Uh, shoots a guy in the head and he said in order to create this effect we <laughs> created a plaster mold filled it with cow parts and then surprised the actor by shooting him in the head. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's like there's just stuff like that. I mean most of the like the backgrounds of the panels are f- like really funny. Um, what is some the other thing like there's a scene later on that I don't know why it strikes me as hilarious but uh, two characters are running trying to escape from this monstrosity at the end of space and time and there's a room full of people that are chained up and they're about to start saving them and someone says something horrible and they're like, fuck you, we're out of here. And it goes to all the things people are screaming and someone's like, there are rats in my anus. <laughs> I don't know why that always strikes me as really funny, but it does.
4: I feel like that background humor is there in Zim too, just in terms of yeah. like the signs that are around in the background, like the names of all the fast food places in this, like the Taco Hell. Ta- and yeah,
1: um, But so... It's weird if you read the trade as opposed to the single issues, because all the meanwhile, like, um, let me start this over again. As single issues, you're going to have three, four main story arcs. There's the, the majority of the book is the following Johnny and sort of that storyline. Then you have wobbly headed Bob, which is about the smartest man on the planet, which takes place in a completely different thing. And wobbly headed Bob is very intelligent, but he's also very, very depressing to other people and horrible, horrible things happens to happen to anyone that he talks to and he's just a miserable sack of shit. Um, Then you also have Happy Noodle Boy, who is a stick figure who is completely insane and just runs random gibberish.
4: And it's Johnny's comic. Like, Johnny the Homicidal Maniac draws Super, or... Happy Noodle Boy. Happy Noodle Boy.
1: Then you have what are my personal favorites from the entire thing, Meanwhile, which takes place in the same world as Johnny. However, none of the stories, with the exception of one crossover, um... And there's like a story about vampires that I love where there's some, like, if you remember so <coughs> late 90s, vampires were kind of the, the alternate culture of gothic, gothic And we're
4: like Anne Rice Lestat era, yeah. so lots of heavy white makeup.
1: So there's, there's a story about someone who's watching the X-Files and who loves vampires, and this gorgeous vampire comes in to turn them into the vampire, and he's like, yes! And unfortunately, the one thing that the vampires apparently don't tell you in the comic is that The change into Beautiful Creature takes a while, and probably for the first 2,000 years of that your head's going to look like a cabbage and you're going to look like a monstrosity. Yeah, like the, a he,
3: he starts out looking like the old school silent movie Nosferatu only with giant walrus, walrus
1: tusks. <laughs> <laughs> There's that amazing panel where the tusk goes directly into the top of the kid's head and he's Yunk. like, fuck, <sighs> cabbage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cabbage. And then it's like 2,000 years later and the tusks have gotten even bigger so they're like mastodon tusks and <laughs> yeah. his head is it's even more... It has to it's be It's so big it's on its on own a table
4: yeah. gurney thing. <laughs> like
1: Elephant doesn't begin to describe how big this guy's head has gotten.
3: I really wish that this comic th- that I could see a lot more of those meanwhiles. Like those yeah. like those as little like Sunday strips or short stuff. I you know just reading the one that I read that I read that you showed me, because uh, for for the reader's edification, the meanwhiles are not available in the director's cut uh, um, trade paperback. So they're only available in the single issues, which is it's it's something that you know a lot of artists have done, where they put you know some extra like content into the single issues to encourage people to buy the single issues and to support the stuff right right off the bat. Brubaker does that with all of his stuff. Like Fatal has back matter Fraction stuff that's it. not going to be available in yeah. Casanova has a bunch of that stuff. Um and to me just that one four panel meanwhile that you showed me was wildly better than anything I read in this trade. Like,
1: like So one of the things is like one of the meanwhile is kind of central to the story which I don't understand. Um the girl who Johnny goes out on the date with? Yeah. It's her previous date where she's on a date with a guy and they're having like a pretty good time and the guys on the other end of the table and he's like I got a fart. I got a fart. Okay. And you know, and like it shows the panel with his eyes huge. He's like, "That wasn't a fart. That was diarrhea." And he's trying to figure the guy's trying to figure out how to get out of the situation. And it ends up like people start noticing, and the the meanwhile ends with him running out of the restaurant screaming, "Oh my god! Someone put shit in my pants!"
3: <laughs> she. the 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 reason that they can leave that out is because there's a section in here where she talks about that when she comes back and they're talking about her later yeah she she references that and makes sure there's more detail to the reference than just oh this happened so she they can leave it out without you know without it being
1: good it's like i don't know uh it there's what three of the meanwhiles i think tie into the main story to a certain extent
4: I yeah, probably I, haven't actually read them all because um, I've only read the trade. But it's
1: just—it's weird that those chunks of the backstory are missing in the director's cut.
4: I think it, it lends the meanwhiles lend a lot of world flavor, and they're a good place to sort of sound off separately from the storyline. I almost feel like the structure of the issues is more sort of like '90s zine than it is. Oh yeah, no, this was like it
1: was <laughs> super. Like, I remember when I first saw this comic book, I'm like, "This is fantastic!" And then there was like three months until the next one came out. And I had to scour like four different stores just to find wow. a second printing. Um, they were impossible to find. And I didn't get to read issue six for the longest time because I just couldn't find it. Mm. And then like I read issue seven. I'm like, wait, wait, wait what? Because um, at the end of issue five, Johnny gets shot in the head and dies. Like and at, you the, do. at the beginning of issue seven, he comes back to life.
4: Yeah. Issue six is kind of vital or yeah, non-vital. Yeah. It's, it's As it were.
1: It matters, because it it explains a lot of the background information, um, how there are people like Johnny who are basically there to take care of the shit in the world. Um, There's just this nice balance between the completely absurd and then the very poignant that happens in this comic.
4: I like that he's sort of a a negative hero, hero's journey, because, you know, your classic facet of the hero's journey is that there's this very unique person who's, like, chosen by fate to unite the tribes or balance the force or whatever. And he is that person. It's just that...
1: He's a violent sociopath? He's a
4: violent sociopath who's been chosen to, like, take out the shit of humanity.
1: Also, I like one of the things... uh, Or, sorry, one of the things that I like about it is that normally most of the people that he ends up murdering there there's a pretty there's a, there's a reason for it that you know someone's pretty horrible in general but like one out of every 20 times it's just bad luck like he kills someone in the Taco Bell saying try stop trying to bring back bell bottoms or yeah. the
3: the funny to be honest the one of the few um I I don't I I don't have a lot of positive to say about this book one of the few things that i thought was actually really funny was the one where he had the guy tied up and he was feeding him shit from his fridge he's <laughs> like he's like like good i haven't cleaned out my fridge in a while thanks and he just lets the guy go he's just like here's here's all this shit from my fridge and thanks and
1: it's just like the guy walks out his front door um so another thing that i really like is that when johnny sees someone who's um like in issue seven i want to say there's someone who started mimicking his feelings yeah. and he's like yeah and then he goes into detail explaining about how that's not right and how you know it's a definitely has it. a code of ethics yeah, for what he does yeah, there's, like um like is they are is that the girl's name
4: shit debbie
1: debbie no the debbie or the debbie, other one debbie yeah. debbie's the one he went on the date with yeah like, when she, like the resolution of that whole thing where she's just scree- like he's got it all planned out and he's playing the the microphone and into the thing. He's like, just listen to this for a second because you know I, I want this to be as eloquent as possible and I'm not going to call you back. And she's just, you know, she th- just th- screams th- him a new th- one. She just starts screaming at him over the mic and he's like, well, that didn't turn out how I expected it to.
4: <laughs> I really appreciate Debbie as a character. I think she's an incredibly strong uh, female character, and I mean that not in the like. Kate Beaton way of you know in the gunmetal bikini shooting bullets strong female character but like she's the one person that can can honestly stand up to Johnny and all of his like mania and be like I'm gonna kick you in the face and leave which I think is such a nice counterpoint to Bella Swan for example who you know has this very maniacal person that she's after and is an idiot. And, like, that seems to be the new fairy tale, is, like...
3: The abusive relationship. Like, like be
4: in this abusive relationship, versus Debbie, who's just like, "Welp, that was nice until the killing, and now I'm going to kick you in the face and leave, and I still have feelings for you, mm. and that sucks, but now you've really clinched it, because you've called me back with this self-pitying bullshit, and I'm going to ream you no one.
1: Uh, on a, a side note, what I think is another thing that's interesting is, you know, like, it sort of poses it like, Johnny is insane. He doesn't have to put blood on the wall, or the thing will come...
2: No, no, no I- really. According to the
1: rules of the world, he has to put blood on the wall or, or nightmare not- monstrosities through. will come through the wall and start murdering everything and reality will end. So it's I like- appreciate that. Was that, oh, that where it was leading? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I didn't finish it, so. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Neither did I. That sounds interesting. There it, was there was a purpose to all the madness. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. like yeah. so,
1: you know, he he keeps on referring to, you know, like this fucking creature that's in the walls and if he doesn't paint the walls with blood then you know you yeah. know that's yeah, the thing I is i don't think he actually <laughs> refers to that creature until like
3: issue four like uh, no he, he, talks, no. he about talks
4: about it in the beginning of issue two and a little bit at the end of issue one
1: yeah there, there. Are,
3: okay
4: or he references the wall he references the, the he, re- he
3: references the wall and he references the fact that he's the first few references to the wall that show up is him literally just saying uh it's the color changes and when it dries up i need to be able to keep the wall wet mm-hmm. he doesn't say why until way into the story mm. and it's in fact the i mean he mentions it a little bit in issue 4 right before he gets shot well, i think it's issue 5 when he gets, he gets shot, shot issue five. um so he, i think he mentions it a little bit in issue 5 where he says something about how you know they're eating away at the plaster on the back side of the wall or whatever and um, and then, of course, you you in issue six is when you actually start seeing that stuff because they, you know, I to best of my knowledge, they he kind of takes you to hell and heaven and hell, uh, yeah, heaven and hell, and
1: you just um,
3: heaven is amazing, heaven is amazing, everyone oh has head
1: sploody powers,
4: but they don't use them because they're all reasonable people they're until in a state of bliss, until someone throws them. everything into Lean away
3: from the mic when you're chewing there, there you go, <laughs> <laughs> until uh. Ben.
1: until Johnny comes and just throws a wrench in the fucking works everyone is you know happy and serene and just sitting there and as soon as he gets there everyone goes ape shit because he's like wait I can just blow people's heads up with the power of my mind and the, the angel is walking he's like yeah but why would you do-? and he just pop head explodes <laughs> and then like the, the guy's just fine his head grows back he's like that really hurt and he blows Johnny's head up so then Johnny does it to him and then someone gets splattered with the gore and they're like this is bullshit and then they jump in <laughs> until it turns into a grand melee of head splody Huh. And then he gets kicked out of heaven for that. And then he goes to hell. You're hell awfully
3: quiet, Joel. What do you think of what you've read of this book? <clears throat>
1: um, I, I I get it.
0: I can see why a lot of people love it. You know, um, it's just uh, the, the one thing I can say is it's it's definitely off color and it's it's meant to be that way. And Debbie, the reason why I liked it was because she was the only person that was a person out of all of this squeak. Squee is n- no. not a person. No, I disagree. I don't think Squee. I he, think he really did. He was just there for horrific things to happen to him. He didn't really do anything. Where Devi actually did stuff.
3: That's true. He was totally reactive. He has no agency whatsoever in this yeah. book. He's just they're like,
0: oh, Fair enough. enough. Your name, your name is Todd. Oh, and that's and that was the one thing where out of all this this anti-establishment commentary throughout the the whole entire thing. She's the only one that had, like, some rational ideas about this. Uh, and that, and that was, that's the one thing that,
1: that got me, you know? So, uh, in issue six, when...
4: Who's the other girl? So, uh, there's the girl who her and her date get trapped. Yeah, her
1: and her date get trapped. She, uh, like, her date just gets eaten, and she's like, ah, he was an asshole anyway, because he pretty much was. And she's being, uh, she and another guy are trying to escape... From the house as mm-hmm. they're being chased by this monstrosity that came through the wall, and the guy is just a dick.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Like you can see why Johnny took him yeah, because
1: because he reversed an ass. everyone as fucking assholes and talks about how he's going to kick their and that's all this guy's dialogue. We kick their fucking ass, yeah. yeah. And he talks about it, it. Shows amazing asshole vision and it <laughs> shows his interpretation of Johnny, which is completely different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but. What the fuck was i gonna I don't even remember i'm just, I just love this book okay. so let me
4: tell you a little story about how this book came into my life um i th- I think it deals with the book in general really well uh, I read this in probably my senior year of high school because i ch- was I was challenging myself to read something dark to see if I could handle it because that's what you do when you're seventeen um And I was pleasantly surprised by all the content, honestly. I expected it to be a lot... I mean, it was gratuitous, but I expected it to be gratuitous without so many thoughts behind it. Um, And it was interesting that, like, that was my impetus to read it, because I feel like that's an issue that he deals with a lot, is, like, people seeing their own darkness, or a lot lot with goth culture, too, which I appreciate. My favorite part, rereading it.
1: (laughs) Mummies have bees in her honey. That's
4: goth, right? Right, right. Um the anguish comics are still my favorite part they were when i first read it and again they're just they're so tasty because it's all about like the themes that run through this are all about people judging each other and being assholes to each other and he really looks at how um that has extended into like not just this weird world but our world as well and he gets a little bit meta one of the other meanwhile's i was looking at is like apparently he gets all of the fan mail that's like oh he hates his fans he hates his fans this so is a much. fact. And probably because all of his fans are people who are like I want to embrace the darkness and become a vampire. <laughs> this is funny. <laughs> it's like tool fans, right? Like <laughs> <laughs> people who are like I'm so dark. I like the dark things. When you're like well these yeah. dark things have thoughts and you don't. But you're missing the nah.
1: message. Um <laughs> I'm just gonna hold this carrot for a minute and think about what the fuck I was gonna say. Okay, I'm
3: I'm gonna step in here for a minute because Do I don't want my I don't want what I have to say about this book to be the last thing that's said about this book. It won't be because um, I'm going to uh, I'm going to um, I'm, I'm, going, kick it to I'm us. going to live up to my stereotype. This is the worst thing I've read for this show. This is one of the worst what? comic books I have ever read. Um, I there is i have zero positive to say except the occasional little comedic bit that i thought was kind of funny that's one of the reasons why earlier i said i wish there was more like those meanwhiles because those meanwhiles were interesting funny little commentaries on stereotypes or on you know on a specific type of person or a personality or something and those those were kind of little funny bits um Johnny as an ongoing character and as reading through this book it is it is trite fucking shallow high school complaining bullshit i it is it is it looks like it looks like something that a high school Emo kid doodled in his fucking notebook, which is probably close to what it actually is. That's where it started, I think. And, yeah. and it comes across that way. It's giant, verbose blocks of text where he's just regurgitating like a high schooler's fucking uh, pseudo philosophy on, you know, um, social commentary and talking about people being shallow and assholes when in actuality this whole fucking book is just shallow bullshit like it's it's so aggravating because it's also so incredibly repetitive. Every fucking issue is the same goddamn thing. It's him fucking whining about something, and then there's the suicidal issues where it's like, oh well, I'm so mired in darkness that I have to kill people, but killing people makes me happy, but if I get too happy, I can't kill people anymore, so it's it is so frustratingly bad. Luke this smash! is this is it's that. such like fucking he needs he need desperate in desperate need of an editor because everything he says in this book could have been said with half as many words and actually concentrated on something towards storyline there's there's i i understand that there is an arc johnny needs to kill people to put blood on the wall to keep the cthulian god from coming into the world and killing everybody that arc is a single issue that's Pro- that's there's probably one issue worth of that storyline in this entire fucking 7 issue run and the rest of it is him repeating his fucking bullshit and just vomiting shit into the comic book and it's so fucking terrible like this is the, this is probably the last thing that I'm going to say about this book because I it it, it is hands down, the worst thing I've read for the show, one of the worst things I've ever read, and it is, I feel... Worse
4: than the whatever Frank Miller thing y'all did?
2: Uh,
3: yes, you might have got me there. Okay, yeah. okay, you're right. Holy Terror is worse Touché than this. And
1: Holy Terror is definitely worse so than I, this. So I, the second worst thing I've I read I just for want the to show. make sure that I'm understanding that you don't like this. And I just summed up your entire rant. Yes, it, there is no 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 aside
3: I, I, from no, no 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 wait you've a minute your point across i'm, I'm just gonna say <laughs> aside from <laughs> mine like i said aside from minor comedic bits the bulk of this comic to me has zero redeeming qualities There's nothing worth reading
1: in here. See, now as a counter-argument, I think that it does a fantastic job of balancing the absurd and, like, the serious, much like sort of like that episode, like season four to season eight of The Simpsons, where you've got this, you know, first layer, which is just this ridiculous common denominator bullshit, and then within that, you've got certain aspects, like if you really are paying attention to either the story or what's going on in the background, that are real gems. Now, if you just look at the surface of this, you're going to be like, this is terrible. It was written by a six-year-old. And, it, like, Invader Zim, to a certain extent, is the same way. Um, you've got a kid's show that has really funny, smart, mm-hmm. disgusting things that are, you know, hidden in there.
4: I think uh, that Invader Zim was almost like Johnny Redux Lite in a more, like, in a way that...
1: More, a broader audience.
3: Uh, with had an, a broader audience. With
4: an editor.
1: Mm.
3: I mean, to be honest, there's... I'm not saying that Jonan is like maybe conceptually there's something interesting about Johnny. I don't think there is, but it's like, it's like when he got to Invader Zim, he had ideas that he wanted to get across and finally had somebody to tell him how to do it instead of just, um, I'm just going to write and I'm going to keep writing and I'm just going to put this giant block of text out there without fucking thinking about how much I'm repeating myself. So Invader Zim, I mean, yes, it's packaged in a way that makes it more palatable, um, which is helpful. I don't necessarily. It's not the. I mean, partially, it's the shock jockiness of it that bothers me. But that's not. That's not the core of what bothers me about it. Because I've seen plenty of shock jockey stuff that that I feel is um, has more coherent points to make um this one is like he couldn't figure out how to actually make any of the points that he wanted to do within his story so instead he just has fucking johnny go on a monologue for three pages and writes you know this huge block of bullshit in without actually in anywhere inserting it into his story it's just like i'm gonna rant while somebody waits on my wall and then i'm gonna kill that person and that's my story
4: i think johnny um it's, it's always been a character based story like you just from the back material in the trade like you can tell it was the you know it was the high school emo whiny that's where it started that's uh-huh. uh and i really think he is trying and i think he succeeds in moving beyond that again in sort of a simpsons very subversive way um i think he has the fan base he has because it's not really obvious that he's moved beyond that right That's that's the
3: ironic thing about me about this book to me is that he spends so much time. Johnny as a character spends so much time killing people specifically because they're shallow and they're assholes and Mm. they are persecuting people that don't deserve it just because of their shallow beliefs. And to me. Um, the, the high school goth mentality of my world is shit and everybody else should die because they're, you know, they're persecuting me is just as shallow.
4: Yeah. And I think he makes that point yeah. frequently. He does.
0: Well, and see the thing he actually, in the very first issue, he says, no, I don't think, I don't think entertainment is. Is what he, yeah. makes people that makes people kill people. But the, one of the things, and I think the reason why he has the fan base he is, is because all these people that are going through their teenage years are feeling disenfranchised, and they they realize that everything that they were taught when they were younger isn't exactly true, and all this stuff is bullshit. But they don't have a voice for it, and this is the voice. You know, this is like I, you know, I feel that way. So, this is exactly how I feel, and and he's he's saying, oh yeah, I can I can
4: identify with that. So issue seven. He deals with, and this I feel like is sort of a coda to the whole story, um, because I do agree that the pacing could have been more typically dramatic. I think it wasn't because it was a character-based story. But my point being, issue seven, he encounters this... Funky little dude that is like his biggest fan, right? Mm -hmm. And he's dressed just like him and has his little like bucket of murder tools and is like, Yay, killing, killing is awesome. You know what else I do? I do raping. And he's like, Fuck right off. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah.
0: Yeah, And he addresses that too, where uh, there was a person, a person. A victim that was raped is like, no, I don't do that kind of stuff. That's way. And too it's somebody
4: physical. that Debbie mentioned mm. and that he had a very visceral reaction to when she mentioned him on their mm-hmm. on their date It's like, no, fuck, no, yeah. I don't do that yeah. kind of shit, which is interesting to me, too, that like no. he has sort of a very pure misandry. Yeah. <laughs> he does. Well, and, and
0: that's the thing is this is a, a vehicle for all all that hate and rage for everything that hates you that they can actually read this and like, this is how I feel. That's that's what I got from it.
3: My, and what I got from it was that it was it was a lot of spouting off those emotions without any closure to them. And, and yeah. that's and that's what like do you
4: think closure would have looked like? I don't
3: yeah. I don't know nope. I'm not sure what it would have looked like, but it 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 seems very juvenile that the closure to the emotions that he gives is just spout, spout, spout oh, I'm gonna fucking kill yeah. people. No, you know, it, and that's that's what it comes, that's how it comes across. But to that's me. not the, what this book is
0: about. It's not no. about closure. It's about catharsis. I it's don't even know if it's
4: about catharsis. I think it's about sort of like random futileness of well, no, lost be- name.
0: No, because he he'd go into a place and they they'd laugh at him or just say wacky or just stuff that would... <laughs> it wacky. was wacky. Yeah, and stuff that would just unhinge him. And instead of. Letting it roll off, you you can actually do something about it. You chop people's heads off, and I guess it is about catharsis them. in that
4: way because we get the catharsis of watching him murder all the people. Yeah,
0: exactly. Oh, I know this person. Oh, you know that douchebag that was kicking the back of my in my seat when I was watching the movie. Oh, yeah, now I get to
3: electrocute him and to mm, torture him, and you know, yeah,
0: and and that's and actually that's how like, there may the have been late 90s was though during that's that time. The best, and I yeah. guess
3: the best word that I can come up with. Was the one that I already said. It feels very juvenile, yeah. And it's and that in 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 that way, I just I just don't enjoy it. I just don't like it. Well, you're not the only one. It's it attempts attempts to reach some form of depth and Mm. never does. Yeah, and that's why it it's it's it fails to be a commentary on shallow people because it never attains anything deeper than the shallowness that it's trying to comment on disagree
2: completely disagree disagree.
0: no this is this is what i can say i think this is the reason why jonathan vasquez hates his fans is because this is something that he did when he was younger and he didn't really know how to completely get out these thoughts he had all these ideas running around in his head and he couldn't get them out so he gets them out and now, when you when he looks back on this, is like, oh my god, this is so juvenile, and it's it's so adolescent. And people love him for it; they want more of that. And he's like, no, I've, but I've moved on. That was
1: stupid kid me. It's Like Bella Lugosi, always being people are like one vampire. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah I- exactly. And it's one of those things where he's kind of doomed by or cursed by his success. early success. Yeah. yeah, you know, and Invader like you were saying, Invader Zim
3: is a lot more. Uh, coherent and refined and mm-hmm. refined yeah because he's and even though it's technically quote-unquote a kids show it's way more mature than this mm-hmm. mm. like just it, in every way in, in its storytelling technique in the audience that it's geared toward it's kind of like you know it's, there's a lot of cartoons from that era that are that are starting in the late 90s to early 2000s that were supposedly kids stuff there's like i mean even Rockers stuff modern like
1: life the simpsons yeah
3: i mean even if you go back to the, the mid 90s and things it? like like animaniacs right like that is suppose that is that is an adult cartoon couched in a kid's um shell. In, in a kid's shell and uh and i think that that's where invader zim succeeds for Joan and vasquez is that it it succeeds at being a mature way to tell his stories whereas this is just
1: like it's, it's so. His, it's his first work. Adolescent. adolescent. Yeah,
4: I and think it's adolescent, but I see there's a lot of interesting stuff that I can I can pick at. Um, without a doubt, I, reading it again after ten years was really interesting. Just in what I remembered from the first time I read it to to now. I mean, obviously it was compelling enough that I randomly picked up a copy when I saw it a couple of couple of years ago. But um, I I feel like. It's probably kind of literary bullshit for me to, like, talk about the hero's journey and talk about, like, Jungian psychology when looking at this book. But you totally can. I mean, I don't think authorial intent was necessarily there, but fuck authorial intent. (laughs) There's all kinds of stuff going on in there.
1: So uh, I'm going to give my personal opinion on this about just, you know, this is a 16-year-old book we're reading right now. Mm -hmm. And I don't think we've read anything that's quite that old, other than maybe Sandman.
2: I don't Adolf. know. I think we've
3: read. I think we've
4: read. Yeah, Adolf yeah. Fuck, fuck early 80s. Fuck, fuck that book. Uh,
2: see, anyway. that's funny
4: to me that, like, Adolf didn't do it for you, but this does. I get that it's different triggers and it's different storytelling types, and it's that wacky. Do you, like, do you see how much thing. black
1: this guy wears? Come <laughs> on. My shirt says rain in hell. Yeah. Uh, no, but I was, I was saying, uh, yes, this book has definitely taken a couple bumps in the aging process because. You know, if you're like, oh, Joan Vasquez, wasn't that the guy who did Invader Zim? So you have something so much better to compare this to is part of the problem. Like, you've seen Jonan Vasquez as a mature artist, and then you look back at his, you know, earlier works, and you're like, oh, you see these hints of really good ideas that he fully focused on when he was doing other stuff. Like, if you read um, I Feel Sick or Squee, th- those are better books than this insofar as you know, there. Are, it's more focused. It's got... Squee
4: has a much stronger arc. Yeah. Like, it has a plot that is more coherent.
1: It's, you know, it's definitely got, like, it's more concentrated in the, here is my arc, here is this bit, this bit, this bit, that are interludes in there. But it's basically, if you, Jonan had taken Johnny, put it down to four issues, but kept the same story arc, that's the equivalent of Squee. It's yeah. a condensed version. It's better. Okay. And he and kept that, refining his process. Sure. I feel sick is two issues. I think "I Feel Sick" is a little bit too short, mm-hmm. um, but then after that he did "Invader Zim." I don't. "Invader think- Zim" is two fifteen-minute stories because that's all he needs to tell these stories. He doesn't need thirty minutes for you know a room with a moose. Right. He <laughs> understands that if he does a story that in a short amount of time, he can get, nail one thing, have some funny stuff on the side but you have your overarching, like the um, the one where Zim is harvesting everyone's organs to appear more human. It's such yeah. a healthy
4: boy and it's, so full of organs.
1: It's so amazing, and it has the second most disturbing scene in all of Invader Zim when he smiles at, I think it's at Gaz, and like, a heart goes through his mouth for a second. <laughs> and he's like, more organs means more human. <laughs> I I don't think my despise of this book
3: is geared, it is rooted in my comparison of, of it to Invader Zim because I wasn't even honestly thinking of Invader Zim when I was reading it. I was just rolling my eyes while I was reading it. My, I, I just, I, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. I just can't. Cool. I just can't do cool. it. Um,
4: I, mean, I don't think it's for everyone. No. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you hope that a book about a homicidal maniac isn't for everyone, actually, because if it is, that's maybe a problem.
2: Well,
3: there's Dexter.
4: <laughs> He's all friendly and squishy.
3: Yeah. Um, so I guess I, I mean I, I I've said my piece. Sounds like everybody else has too. So I think we'll uh, we'll wrap it up with buy, borrow, and burn.
4: I I say buy because I think it's fucking classic.
3: Joel borrow yeah luke oh burn burn it with fire are you sure you thought about that one uh okay let me think about it for just another couple of minutes you go ahead and go andy and i'll i'll see if i refine
1: my answer okay i'm gonna go with simple enough buy on this one in fact i like this so much that i have a zero printing or a pre-release of the first issue number six 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 out of a thousand i think this is one of it's one of my personal favorites only in so far as i mean like there are there are aspects of it that I can definitely say, you know what, this is a little bit rough or whatever, but you can forgive the book for its faults because of its merits. If you just sit down, you can sit, like, I read this book about once every three years. Like, it's not deep. It takes about uh, an hour to read, maybe. Uh, yeah, it took me about if you've it, read it. The font, it, yeah, 17 see, times. It,
3: if first time reading,
1: it, it's way longer
3: than that, partially because the lettering that. is pretty awful. Yeah. And it's... And when you have giant blocks of text in in terrible lettering, it is a little hard. I mean, not just hard to read. I don't mean hard to read from the aspect of it's it's hard to read because it's poorly written. I mean, it's hard physically hard to the read. That's are my one
4: quibble. Is I think he really we needed to sit down and have a talk, a serious talk about font. <laughs> yeah, I think he just hand
3: lettered everything. He did. Yeah, but that's still
4: I, we need to talk about letting
3: <laughs> Yeah, and
4: and and tracking.
1: So uh, I, I'm I'm definitely buy. Um, Especially if you like Invader Zim and you haven't read this. Oh, yeah. If you like Dexter, you should read this. Um,
3: I would I would wholeheartedly disagree on that one. If you like Dexter, you're going to hate this. I honestly uh, believe. If
4: you like Dexter, buy this, read it, and decide. For yourself. Ooh. Don't take my word for it. You know, after thinking
3: about No, still burn. Okay. Um, burn to the point where I would not even loan this to somebody if I had it. If somebody asked me to read it, I would show it to them and light it on fire in front of their face so that they wouldn't read it. That's so. But I'm I'm on I'm in the minority on this one. So, I guess I'll uh
4: I like I'll it. You should get the issues and the trade. Woo.
3: Yeah, um definitely. I want more of those fucking meanwhiles. Like I like those. Yeah, that see, I that was funny. So you could
1: read the meanwhiles, but I'm afraid you would burn them. <laughs> Yeah, the the
3: little meanwhiles. I think um, they they are definitely gems in each issue. There's yeah, one per issue,
1: and yeah. all of them are phenomenal. Yeah, Happy Noodle Boy. Uh, Happy Noodle Boy is the worst part of these
3: books. A
4: Happy Noodle Boy is just like G- Jonan slash Johnny's id like humps a dog. The end.
3: Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, we got a a solid burn, a borrow, and two buys. Um, I don't know what else to say. Andy
1: loves it. I, I think it's, it's great. like one of his favorite things. I really so. do, I I really do. Um yeah. <laughs> it's it's just fun. It's it's wacky. <laughs>
2: oh. <laughs> oh. Yay, oh. No.
3: Guys to look like human guys, but you're not a man. You're a chicken boo. I haven't heard uh, that in years. Yeah, yeah. Animaniacs. Yes, yep, yes,
2: so yes, brought yes, it yes. back. Yes. Yeah, great show.
3: Anyway. Um, so for the next few shows, uh, we are going to be. The next show is going to be Joel's suggestion. We're going to be doing the Twelve, which we were talked about a little bit at yeah. the beginning of the hopefully, show. Hopefully, it'll go over a little bit better than <laughs> <time>. <laughs> um. And then the show after that is going to be Anne's suggestion of the first trade of Promethea.
4: If we're reading classics, let's read some classics.
3: Sure. Uh, And then the show after that, as long as he's back for it, is going to be uh, Eddie's suggestion of Sixth Gun Volume 2. I'm totally fine with that. As far as I'm concerned, we could read the entire run of Sixth Gun to current and then comment on it. That would be fine by me. Um, uh, The reason... So Eddie's out now, but we uh he will be with us for our Emerald City Comic Con shows. Uh, will this be out before? Exactly. I uh, I'm going to try, yeah. Okay. Yeah, hopefully it'll hopefully it will be. Uh Emerald we will be at Emerald City Comic Con. We are in artist Sally Booth DO2. Um we're going to be two tables away from Mike Tron and his booth, so people can come I'll to I'll be Micotron frolicking stuff between and- the two booths. <laughs> um Emerald City Comic Con for fucking those. It's huge this year. Yeah, it's, uh, Emerald Pack City Comic Con has expanded into much more of the convention center than it was previously, so now it's.
4: Perhaps that means you can move on uh. Saturday.
3: Yes, I'm, I'm hoping, because uh, last year Saturday was.
1: Shannon Wheeler. Good
3: job. Phenomenally bad. Well um, done. Yeah. Uh, trying to move around in the con hall on Saturday last year was absurd, um, I
1: just threw hot coffee on people. And they got out of my way. <laughs>
3: well, what I'm hoping <laughs> that they do this year is for most of the booths. I hope they have. I hope they widen the aisles a little bit and leave some space for lines, because that was the biggest problem. Like especially around the image booth, uh-huh. when they had people signing at the image booth, all of a sudden there was a, f- a four abreast line taking up the entire fucking walkway, and nobody could get anywhere. Um, which is a little aggravating. But now they've almost doubled the floor space that they had from last
1: year. They've doubled it because it it goes on alternate floors as well.
3: Oh, they're going to have multiple floors now too? Okay. Because I know that they usually had... um, I mean, they always have the, the halls for panels and stuff on different floors right. and everything, but the, I'm pretty sure the main show floor is still just the one floor with the sky bridge, but now it's on both ends. It's on both
1: ends. And then there's stuff. Um, I think both is it up on above. the sixth floor? Yeah.
3: Okay. Uh, for any of you who've been to PAX or Emerald city comic con, hopefully you'll know what we're talking about. If you're not, uh, we would, l- hopefully you'll come up and see Emerald city. It's one of the best. It's, uh, really it, it's one of the best comic cons and it's the clearly the best one in the Pacific Northwest right now. Um, so it's a it's it's worth the it's worth the trip um and the thing that I'll say about emerald City that I've always said about other things is that um as large as it is and it, with as many people as they get to come to the show, it still has that kind of intimate feel where it's rather just than
1: really comics mostly yeah or comic book stuff
3: yeah it's not as big of a quote unquote pop culture convention like San Diego has become or other conventions has become, and you can get more face time with the creators of the comics that you like than you can at most other conventions. They're not, they're not constantly being pulled away for other things. They're not usually just sitting at their signing booths. A lot of the creators who come in and would normally be at like the image booth or the Marvel booth also will have an artist's alley table. So they'll usually just be sitting around doing, you know, selling stuff and doing autographs and stuff. And you can get, you can actually walk up and talk to them,
1: which is fucking awesome. Um oh we man. Who's the invincible guy that you couldn't talk to? Ryan, Ryan Otley. Otley. Ryan Otley. You're like Ryan Otley. Oh I think you draw pretty. <laughs> <laughs> I am literate and a writer.
4: You do. Like- That's kind of how I felt when I was interviewing Daniel Corsetta. <laughs> <laughs> um
3: we do have uh we do not have as as biggest slate of interviews this year as we did last year we did nine interviews last year this year we're only doing two um we are going to on and they're going to be integrated into the shows that we record for the show but we are going to be interviewing ed brisson who is the writer of a new series called comeback Uh, it's a five issue mini series from image comics he's done a couple other things he did a, a book called murder book um and he's he's um very he's in that kind of Ed Brubaker kind of noir wh- wheelhouse, um, which is what Comeback is kind of a noir c- crime thing with a time Pulpy. travel twist, and it's very good. Nice. Um, and then we got one of our favorites. We're going to be interviewing Cullen Bunn. Oh. Um, talking to him. Not only... I'm, We're going to concentrate mostly on his indie stuff, so we'll be talking to him mostly about Sixth Gun and Hellheim, maybe a little bit of The Damned. But I'm sure we'll discuss some of his new Marvel gigs like uh, Fearless Defenders and a few of the other books that he's done, like his... Uh, his um, Fear Itself book that he did. And the Deep. S- the Deep, stuff like that. So, um, yeah, if you are going to be in the Seattle area next weekend and you want to come check us out, uh, we will be in Table DO2. And at varying different times, we will have different members of the Trade Secrets crew uh, manning the booth. But at some point during the weekend, all of us will be there. So you can come say hi. Come. Uh, maybe even, you know, maybe we'll open up a mic and you can bullshit with us on the show a little bit. So, um, also, check out our other podcast that is winding down. The After the Fact podcast is our video gaming podcast that is in its final ten episodes now. There's eight episodes left of the show. Uh, the next, <laughs> the next show that will be published uh, <laughs> likely <laughs> after Emerald <laughs> <a laughs> City <laughs> Comic Con is um, is the Strider. We're doing the, an episode based on the NES and arcade versions of Strider. Not Genesis. <clears throat> um, I don't. I haven't been able to find a Genesis version. So, so. Rate us on iTunes, uh get get us pumped up a little bit on there. We need more reviews, we need more ratings on iTunes. Even if you hate us, just go on there and say something so that we can uh we can get more info cuz this show will be continuing beyond the next 10 episodes Forever. for as long Wah-ha-ha. as we are all they still interested comics. in doing it. Um I know that the the core crew of the Trade Secrets podcast, which is the four of us, has lasted longer than the core crew of After the Fact did <laughs>
1: for there. Well, by the core crew of After the Fact lasted what,
3: eight episodes? <laughs> well no, it it was uh it was up into the mid so twenties, late twenties. So I started
1: replacing people in episode nine, man.
3: Yes, but they those people were still coming back occasionally, so Anyway, um rate us on iTunes, review us on Zoom. You can follow us all on Twitter. Uh I, the main show feed is at Trade Secrets Pod, I am at Geek and is at Ann Bean Tweets, Joel is at Superfly, uh Andy is at Mathtastrophe, and Eddie when he's around is at Sombo Black with no C. Um you can also uh, like our facebook page at facebook.com slash trade secrets podcast and if you want to be a part of the show uh, going forward if you we will try and publicize our list of of upcoming things and if you have questions for a specific episode or if you just want to talk to us about comics, you can email us at trade at or you can hit us up on Twitter or you can hit us up on Facebook in any of those places we will use your questions or comments on the show. We love talking to our fans that's why we want to see you at emerald City comic con and Eddie uh, stopped <laughs> by our booth at Emerald City Comic-Con last year, and we ended up recruiting him to be a member of the show. So, he, he joined the cult, or the kill pact, if I like to Wait. think of it. When he sat there for uh, like three, three straight hours. hours just bullshitting with us on comics, we knew that he would have something to say on <laughs> well, the show. Like, and I so, still
1: love that photo of him where he's he's saying something. Like I don't know what exactly it was, and I'm just looking at him like, what the fuck <laughs> he was probably talking he about, talking DC. about DC. <laughs>
3: so uh this has been episode 41 of the trade secrets podcast about johnny the homicidal maniac thank you joel for coming up today nom, nom, nom. yeah christina came and put out food and now everybody's like yes this was worth it <laughs> thanks guys uh thank you andy for joining us for the show
4: i love this book
3: <laughs> <laughs> thank you Anne.
4: it was me i was the turkey all along <laughs>
3: I am Luke, and we are out. squealy spooch. Working
2: it harder, make it better. Do it faster, makes us stronger more than ever. Hour after hour, work is never over. Working it harder, make it better. Do it faster, makes us stronger more than ever.